sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. I would like to introduce listeners to Dr. Sally Hewitt and Joanne Walters. Associate Professor Sally Hewitt is the head of the speech pathology program at the University of Newcastle. And Joanne Walters is a lecturer in speech pathology and the clinical education coordinator also at the University of Newcastle. Sally and Joe were the project leads for Speech Pathology Australia's 2018 document, Clinical Education in Australia, Building a Profession for the Future. As many listeners might be aware, clinical education is occurring in an environment of more university programs. There are increasing student numbers, both within and across programs, and there is an increasing demand for placements and a reduction in placements offered by traditional placement sites. So the association uh, commissioned the report to provide an overview of the current situation regarding speech pathology clinical education in Australia. And this included identification of best practices, consideration of opportunities in this space, and provision of recommendations for future developments. The report's available on Speech Pathology Australia's website under the professional resources section and I'd encourage all members to take time to have a look at the report and particularly focus on the section towards the end of the report that's about innovative ideas for clinical education. So Sally and Joe, thanks for taking time to speak with us today. Can I ask you, first of all, um, can you outline why clinical education is so important and tell us a little about the Clinical Education Project? Thanks, Nicola. Um, it's great to actually have the opportunity to talk about clinical education. Um, it's only what's happening in Australia. As you said, clinical education is so important and it's really an opportunity for our speech pathology programs in Australia, um, together with academic work, um, allowing students to actually get out there in the real world and, and see, I suppose, how real clinical practice functions. I really think the importance of um, clinical education is about developing students' clinical skills, but also that opportunity to develop, I suppose, employability skills or those workplace skills, which may be as, um, you know, some of the administration requirements um, that are required um, for a student to work in an organisation. Within clinical education, the student gets that opportunity to take the academic work um, and to actually put it into clinical practice. Um, they can take their knowledge of evidence-based practice um, and really look at how they can use that um, for an individual client that they're working with. It certainly gives them an opportunity to be part of the team. So whether that's with a team of other speech pathologists um, or whether it's part of um, a multidisciplinary team with other allied health um, or with teachers out in the school. Really, I think one of the key aspects of clinical education is it does allow students um, to communicate with a whole range of different people, including their clients and the other team members, and it allows them to reflect on their own practice and see what it is that they need to modify and change moving forward clinically. And I guess, um, Nicola, if I can add, um, it's Sally Hewitt, 
um, here. Um, thanks, Joe. Uh, I guess the, the other big thing is that clinical education is one part of that picture um, that real, really is building the future workforce um, for speech pathology um, here in Australia and, and also providing, I guess, um, potentially a future workforce for um, other countries. Um, you know, with globalisation, we know that students are moving um, around a lot now or our graduates um, and the profession is moving around a lot now. So we're not only building that profession for Australia, but also um, for um, other countries where the profession is developing. Mm -hmm. I guess um, in terms of Nicola, I think you also asked about the project um, and what the project was actually looking at. Um, before I sort of get into the nitty gritty of the project, and I certainly won't go into detail because the report is available as you mentioned, um, but I do want to acknowledge the project team um, that, was, uh, that worked with Joe and I um, really closely, a number of um, our colleagues from other universities and workplaces, and also um, thank the um, project um, advisory group um, that uh, I guess sort of was uh, a good place for us to reflect on um, the process and, and how the project was uh, rolling out. And certainly that advisory group came from lots of different sectors, including private practice, I guess, um, and also uh, covered a number of different stakeholders, including the consumer group, um, which, um, which was really important in the rollout of the project. So I guess in sort of giving a very quick summary um, of the project, um, Nicola, you gave a great intro um, on why, um, why we actually, uh, why Speech Pathology Australia wanted to look at this um, potentially as um, a hot topic or a key issue. Um, and in terms of how Joe and I then approached um, the rollout of the project was to really make sure that we engaged with all of the key stakeholders that we thought were important in clinical education. And, and so that for us then involved um, gathering information about clinical education um, and how clinical education is happening now, how um, clinical education might happen in the future, what are some of the sort of benefits and challenges in that space. Uh, we looked uh, or we um, gathered information from the university sector um, and had lots of conversations um, with key people in universities um, as the, I guess, key training providers who organise those mm. workplace placements. Um, we also uh, gathered information from the student group um, nationally across Australia as, I guess, the consumers of, um, of these workplace um, learning experiences. Uh, new graduates um, looking at how um, the clinical education enables that transition to the workplace. Uh, also the speech pathology workforce um, and certainly uh, that included lots of membership of the association as well as um, some other speech pathologists um, uh, that uh, were able to access um, the information and the, the opportunities for engaging in the project. Um, and the, I guess they're the clinical educators, they're the ones who are actually providing the experiences in the workplace. And the final group um, or stakeholder that we gathered information from was the employers. So um, those that manage um, or um, look after the workplace um, that the clinical education is taking place in. They may supervise the clinical educators, but also employ um, the new graduates um, and the students that are coming out of it. Um, uh, what we um, did with all of that data, I guess all of that information is um, 
um, pulled all of it together um, uh, from a research term. We, we sort of triangulated it um, and looked at um, looked at what information we had from all of those different perspectives and tried to identify some key um, themes um, that came out of that. And certainly those key themes have then been unpacked um, in a lot of detail in the report. Um, and then from um, identifying those key themes, we then looked at how we could potentially move forward um, in the clinical education space and, and provide some ways of really engaging, um, you know, and, and um, looking at clinical education from uh, the consumer and also um, the provider perspective and trying to think of ways we can generate sort of new and innovative ways of um, providing these workplace um, opportunity, learning opportunities for students that was going to match what the future um, might look like, I guess. Thanks, Sally, and, and thanks, Joe, too. That that provides um, some really helpful detail and background around that uh, about the project, and also the the thanks to so many people who were involved in in helping you get the data for all of that too. Can you um, provide everybody with a little bit of information about the key issues that you discovered while you conducted the project? Yeah, look, I guess, um, you know, there is a lot of detail in the report um, and certainly I can touch on some of those um, key points um, now. I think the, with, with the triangulation of all of the information from the stakeholders that we did, we sort of identified, um, you know, or, or grouped um, uh, the information into into sort of three key themes um, in a way. Um, one of those sort of looked at what the benefits and impact of clinical education um, might be for each of the stakeholder groups. Um, and then the barriers and challenges um, that might be, um, I guess, sort of either hindering or, um, or happening um, during um, clinical placements. But then um, one area that was really exciting was um, where the stakeholder groups saw some of the opportunities might be and what might enable clinical education um, to happen, um, you know, in, in different ways or, or in spaces and places that we haven't seen clinical education happening um, previously. So I guess, you know, there is a lot of sort of detail sitting behind that, um, but to give a you know, couple of key points, I guess overall really um, clinical education was seen as a very positive experience um, from all of the key stakeholders. Um, you know, uh, one, one comment I think was the students of today are our supervisors of the future, um, you know, which really sort of, um, uh, I, I liked it. it, it sort of highlighted um, the fact that we really are developing the future um, of the workforce and the future of speech pathology um, and part of that is the future supervisors. So the impact that clinical education can have is, is quite profound. Um, the other um, real um, key outcome from a benefit and impact perspective is workplace recruitment. Um, uh, and, and I think we'll go into that in a little bit more detail um, maybe as we work through um, this um, podcast. But, um, you know, it seems that, um, you know, some of the quotes that came through, I think one, um, one of the speech pathologists said, um, it almost seems that just about every time a new student we take on ends up working for the organisation. Um, you know, so I think um, a lot of uh, recruitment does occur through um, workplaces having the opportunity to, to have students in there. Um, uh, in terms of, I guess, the barriers and challenges, um, 
one, one sort of thing that I will highlight was, um, and this was identified from the universities, was that really the number of programs and an increasing number of students was a real threat um, to the sustainability of the current way we do mm. clinical education. Um, and I guess, you know, in, in parallel to that, um, what, what was also sort of seen from the workplace perspective um, was that, uh, you know, there was a real change in space in the workplace and the types of clients that they were working and the models that they were working within that, you know, was really sort of felt to be, um, make it more difficult to, mm. to even enable that to happen. Um, so I think there are real barriers and challenges, absolutely, um, but there are also lots of benefits. So it sort of is, I guess, hopefully um, through the work we've done with this project and um, having lots of conversations ongoing, um, we'll be able to um, create some um, new and innovative ideas in, in supporting the students in, in these traditional, sort of more traditional workplace learning placements. Is there anything else? Yeah. No, they were probably the main points. I think realistically as well that um, just that the time, I suppose, is ready to have discussions around clinical education and that really mm. that all of the stakeholders were saying, you know, this is a really important time just because of changes in workplace, you know, more university programs, that it was a really, I suppose, exciting opportunity to actually start to talk about clinical education. So it's really exciting, I suppose, to keep that conversation going now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Nicola, I think Joe's just given me another idea. I think the, I think the, um, the other thing that came from, um, you know, the project was really the, um, I, I guess, sort of enthusiasm mm -hmm. in a way from um, all of the stakeholders. And I'm not just saying that from the universities, the clinical educators or the students mm -hmm. in what Joe said, it's timely. Um, but also I think because the potential opportunities of doing things differently yes, yeah. um, are really being enabled through, you know, technology, through, you know, different ways of looking at things, through being more flexible and, and being more creative. And I think they're because they mm. were, um, you know, they were, they were sort of, I guess, sort of ideas that came from all of the stakeholders that that's what made it exciting. It mm. wasn't sort of, you know, us kind of going, okay, we're going to create these new ideas. It actually, these, these enablers, I guess, and, and opportunities came um, not, not from us, the project team, but actually from um, everybody that was um, all of the stakeholders and, and participants that, you know, contributed mm. to um, what, what the project was about. Yeah, thanks. I, I think you've really touched on something important, particularly around it was really time to be doing something in this space that was a little bit different. Mm. Um, and I know that the association was aware of the importance of, of supporting clinical education. Uh, one of the, the things that I do at National Office, um, some members might be aware of, is that I run private practice work workshops around Australia. So after this project was written, it was really exciting to think that, that Sally and Joe were able to, to come to some um, of these uh, workshops with me and talk about um, clinical education and private practice because that's really a space where it is time where there should be changes being made. So uh, this year, both Sally and Joe came to Newcastle, where they both are, um, to Melbourne, to Adelaide and to Perth. Um, and they discussed a range of innovative models of clinical practice and how clinical practice will work in small and large private practice settings. We also were lucky enough in Perth to have one of the members of the project team, Abigail Lewis, who's the clinical education coordinator at Edith Cowan University, come and speak at that presentation to provide some local context. 
So thank you, firstly, to Jo and Sally for coming to those seminars with me. It was a lot of fun. Can I get you just to outline the key points you've taken away from attending the workshops? Um, thanks, Nicola, for actually inviting us to the workshops. Um, Sally and me did have a lot of fun. Um, and it was a really nice opportunity, actually, just to get out there and, and have a conversation with private practitioners. I think one of the key points that we took away from the workshops um, are that private practitioners are, are very committed um, in general to actually supporting clinical education and I think very aware then that students, um, new graduates are ending up in private practices um, when they graduate and I think very aware then of the changing workforce that you know traditionally maybe more of the graduates ended up in say health um, positions and certainly looking at more of our graduates ending up in private practice or, or non-government organisations. So I think there was this real understanding from the private practitioners that they needed to sort of look at clinical education and how that could possibly work in their own private practice. Um, I think one of the other points that I certainly took away from the workshop is that there are, you know, private practices are also very different um, mm -hmm. and that some of them, you know, there was maybe one person working part-time um, in their own private practice um, and certainly some of the clinicians were working in big teams um, of speech pathologists and also other allied health as well. And I think then that sort of key point is that there really can't be just one way of yeah. doing clinical education. And, you know, traditionally, I think that um, universities have been very much, um, this is the way um, clinical education is done. And, and so I really think coming out of these workshops was the need for, um, obviously, everyone to have a conversation, but to be more creative around clinical education. That certainly private practices are saying, look, you know, happy to take students. How can we make that work within our own organisation and within our own practice? And so I suppose that's one of the main things that we were sort of then having conversations about um, is how that could possibly happen. Um, I think some of the other points were coming out that, you know, clinicians um, were very aware of, um, obviously, Workforce, um, so future workforce, um, you know, they could see the positives around taking students in terms of learning new knowledge um, and those sorts of things and maybe extending upon their practices. Um, but, you know, potentially that things did need to be done differently. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was a very positive vibe, um, Nicola, and it was, it was really enjoyable to actually have an opportunity to talk about clinical education, yeah, exactly. I agree with Joe. Um, but to talk about it from, um, you know, I guess a sort of unique place mm. um, that, you know, was supported um, by the association, but also, um, you know, not, not having to sort of sell we need clinical yes. business, which is what we typically <laughs> do at a university, yeah. Yeah. Um, but to actually go and, and sort of be creative with some of our um, colleagues who... Um, you know, are clearly in creative space um, in working in private practice and, and, and no doubt working really hard. Absolutely. I, look, I agree with both of you. It was, it was great at those workshops that to see that private practitioners were so keen to engage in clinical education and think about it differently. Mm. And I know that there were clinical education placements made, you know, off the back of just people coming to those workshops. So that was encouraging as well. And I was going to say, Nicola, just adding to that, I mean, it was really nice to get some of the feedback that certainly um, people were saying that they thought that it would be fairly boring. Um, maybe it was going to be a waste of time to engage in that, that we really, you know, that it was all going to be about 
what can we get um, from them in terms of the universities. And so I think it was actually really nice to just engage with people and say, you know, we're really trying to sort of all be in this together and that certainly we are realising that things do need to be done differently um, and that in a way, I mean, private practitioners are going to drive that in terms of how they can make it happen in their own organisation. Yeah, yeah. Joe, I'm glad you mentioned that because that certainly was the feel that perhaps clinical education and private practice and businesses weren't going together that well and perhaps this might not be the most exciting session of the day but um, but I know that um, the feedback sort of was was quite different afterwards so that was that was really exciting for that I guess that segues into my next question um, because I know that there were certainly some challenges discussed at the workshops could you go into a bit more detail about those challenges clinicians particularly those working in private practice might be able you know might face Mm. Um, I guess, uh, Nicola, the challenges that were raised at the workshop uh, in some ways were not that different to some of the barriers and challenges that came up in the project. Yeah. Um, and, and that comes from, I guess, the broader speech pathology um, workforce. Um, but, you know, so looking at sort of, you know, um, space to house students and um, you know, the, the sort of quality control and sometimes stress and timing of placement, those sorts of things um, were, were very similar. Um, probably a couple of the big ones that uh, are more specific perhaps to private practice um, is more around the financial cost. Um, you know, I, I think I recall writing down a note somewhere that, you know, time is money and that sort of came mm -hmm. from um, one of the um, workshops that we did from one of the practitioners, you know. Um, but the other thing is, and, and I think just following through on something Joe said, is the size um, and the difference mm -hmm. between the um, practices that people are actually uh, running, um, you know, was sometimes um, one of those challenges, you know, if they had if they were a sole practitioner, for example, it seemed like that was, you know, made for more of a challenge to engaging in clinical education than perhaps um, some of the um, bigger um, private practices. Um, so probably, you know, they're the sorts of challenges, um, you know, that were sort of really raised. But I, I mean, I will sort of reiterate that those challenges were really um, clearly offset in some ways by what the private practitioners were seeing as the benefits um, as well. So, um, and I think, you know, one of the um, private practitioners that, um, you know, shared their story at, at one of the workshops that we did really sort of, uh, she didn't hide the fact that it was hard. Mm. You know, she, she really talked about um, that there was planning that, that was required and there was, um, uh, you know, time that needed to be spent. But, but that time and potentially cost, financial cost for the time that she put in was offset by the marketing and the new services and, you know, the, the sort of um, free job ads in a way um, and, and trialling um, future staff. And so you could sort of see that... Um, you know, challenges were sort of almost offset by some of the potential benefits as well. And I was just going to add to that, Nicola, just in terms of, I suppose, some of the specific challenges. I think for some private practitioners, um, it really depends, I suppose, on the clients and the caseload that they're actually working with. And so certainly, um, you know, they did discuss the different funding models that their private practice might operate under. Um, so, you know, it could be... Um, 
in terms of like the National Disability Insurance Scheme and so were they seeing clients under that um, funding model and really I suppose because that's a fairly new um, scheme that people were sort of getting their head around it themselves in terms of the impact on their own practices and whether that's something that they would move forward with and so then to actually sort of throw a student into the mix and then how would that work um, sort of thing. So I certainly think with some of those funding models that as people are getting more familiar and there's more information about them um, that you know starting to see potentially um, that you could take a student within that funding model. So I think really just a, a lot more information and I suppose people doing things. Yeah, thank, thanks, um, thanks both of you. Um, can I get you alongside sort of thinking about private practice, but also for you know all um, of our members wherever they're working to have a um, think about any insights that you uh, might have learned from the workshops and from undertaking the clinical education project that will help all clinicians to consider clinical education in their workplaces. Okay, um, really with that question, Nicola, I think realistically coming back to what we have sort of talked about before, that really I suppose Sally and myself from this whole project, that conversations are really important and that, you know, finding the people to have those conversations with. So certainly within a workplace, um, having conversations, if you work with other team members, um, other speech pathologists, having conversations with them around clinical education and maybe their experience with taking students um, or how they could see um, you know, you could take students in your own practice. Um, if you're a sole trader, having a conversation with yourself then and sitting down and going, how could I take a student um, on board in my practice? Um, I also think then um, having conversations with your organisation that you're working for um, in terms of their support around student placements and what maybe they can provide around that. And, um, and one of the key, I suppose, organisations to have a conversation with would be the university. And we were saying that it would be really useful to even get the key names of people in universities that um, deal with clinical education um, out there. So, you know, certainly a clinician could just ring um, someone at the university and say, look, I'm interested in taking a student. Um, how does it all work? What do I need to do? And so I think in terms of that then, we started to really, from the project, unpack clinical education in terms of the components of clinical education into like so obviously planning to take a student um, what are some of the things that you could think about and possibly um, look at modifying to allow a clinical um, an education placement to occur so I mean in terms of the clinical education report we have got some of that information in there and I suppose the template that you could use as a structure when you were having a conversation with you in your own workplace or certainly having a chat to someone at the university. So there were things like you know think about the student um, that you're taking on board so maybe the year of the student um, is your organisation better suited to have a student for observation um, or is it better suited to have, you know, a, a finishing student um, that would be able to offer more than to your workplace? Um, one of the other things that was really important to, um, I suppose, think about is who would be doing the clinical education? And, you know, certainly um, people were doing some really um, interesting things in terms of dual clinical education or um, remote clinical education um, to support the student. 
The other thing that um, was really important, again, in conversations that have a think about the structure of the placement. So, you know, traditionally they may be one day a week or, or maybe three days a week. Um, did that work um, for your organisation? Are you looking at, say, extended hours? So, you know, longer placement day if that fits in with your site, um, looking at weekend work, um, those sorts of things. So I suppose um, really looking at how you could structure a placement in your own workplace um, and looking at a number of different things. And I guess, um, you know, from um, looking at it from a different perspective, some of the insights I sort of, I guess, took from it on reflection now is needing to sort of think in a very creating way um, and, and sort of being, I guess, a little bit flexible. Yeah. So flexibility on the, on the perspective of the, um, the student, the university, um, you know, how the workplace might um, engage. Um, but then also some creativity in terms of, you know, what the learning outcomes might be, what the opportunities might be, you know, what might be the value add to mm -hmm. the organisation um, that the student end or that placement can provide. Um, so, and, and I guess, um, you know, th th that was sort of my take home, but also the other insights were, which, which I was really excited about and it's probably my passion in a way um, is that really we're sort of all on the same page we all are trying to um, you know provide the students with the best learning opportunity that that we can give them um, and also try and build a workforce that actually is going to be the best workforce for the future um, you know that that does have um, you know the employability or that the students mm. do have the employability skills that the workforce actually wants and that's really mm. from a university perspective that's what we're trying to create but certainly from a workplace perspective you know they want graduates who, who mm. can you know engage in the work that's required of those workplaces so um, what was exciting for me is that everyone actually is almost on the same page mm. it's actually just working out how we can um, get that page to work. <laughs> yes, and I think just even adding to that, I mean, the whole pro the profession as a whole, really looking at, I suppose, moving forward and how this can certainly support um, people to take students um, in a placement. I want to thank Joanne and Sally for taking the time to participate in this podcast and for sharing their insights about clinical education. We did spend um, a much longer period exploring this topic beyond the life of this podcast and we discussed um, a few supports and resources around clinical education, but we decided to finish the recording of the podcast at this point. It was a real pleasure having Joe and Sally speak at the private practice seminars, and I wanted to let you know that we recorded the final presentation about clinical education at the private practice seminar in Perth late in 2019, and this was presented by Sally and Abigail Lewis. This presentation now forms part of a free learning module that members can access on the Association's Learning Hub to explore innovation in clinical education, particularly within the private practice sector. The resources that Joe and Sally talked to me about offline and that we could not share in this podcast are available to anyone who completes the learning module as well. Um, all the very best to those of you who uh, want to get involved or continue your involvement in clinical education. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.